Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Jill. Welcome to the special focus meeting of 100 Pounders. My name is Jill. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jill. And your leader for this meeting. Um, as a reminder, please uh, silence all electronic devices. That should cover everything, including new Apple phones, if you so have one. Um, also, a reminder, no photos during the uh, meeting. And those of you who wish to, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The format for this session is as follows. We have two speakers who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by a 10-minute of question and answers, finishing up by 10 minutes of open pitch. This workshop is being taped, so you need to sign the audio recording authorization if you're going to share. Tonight, our first speaker is Tracy, who will share. You might have to remind me to speak up because I tend to start getting quiet after a while. Um, my name is Tracy. I'm a compulsive overeater. I have been in OA now for five years, and I've maintained 150-pound weight loss. Um, I do have pictures to send around. Um, the ones on the back, the first one with my compulsive overeating pug, um, was at my lowest weight before gaining to my highest weight, which was 300 pounds. So I'll go ahead and pass those around. Um, I kind of came into OA backwards. Um, I come from a dysfunctional family, and, um, of course, I didn't, I didn't do the drug of choice that the, most of my family members do, which was alcohol, um, or at least I didn't consider doing that at the time. But um, I always turned to food because I had a um, dysfunctional family, and that's how I got my comfort and my acceptance was with food. Um, when I came into OA, um, I had already been desperate enough to have attempted suicide once and desperate enough that I went and had my body surgically altered. I had gastric bypass. After having gastric bypass, um, I had a realization that I had a problem with food, and I needed to do something about it. So I immediately um, started into OA. My first meeting, somebody looked down their nose at me and said, you don't deserve to be in OA. And I was like, okay. But I had had such an epiphany being my first day home from the hospital that my higher power spoke to me because my higher power finally had me in the place that I needed to be to where I could hear him. And he said, you have a problem with food and you need to do something about it. So I immediately came home from that first meeting thinking, okay, but I have a problem. i got to do something about it. So I got out an OA phone list and I immediately called another meeting. And I called the person who is actually now my sponsor today and I said, very meekly, you have a meeting on Sunday night. Can, can I come, please? 
She's like, sure, why not? And I said, well, I have to tell you, I'm, I had gastric bypass, and I was told I don't deserve to be in OA. And she kind of laughed, and she said, sweetie, you're more than welcome in OA, so why don't you come to our meeting? I did, and that's my home meeting, and I keep going to that meeting, and I keep going back and back and back. One thing I learned about the surgery was it's just a temporary tool. I figured out I had something wrong up here. And that's what I've been dealing with for the last five years. And I've maintained my weight loss. And it's not because of the surgery that I maintain my weight loss. It's because of this program. This program has taught me a way to live. This program has brought me back from despair to where I no longer feel like I need to kill myself. This program has brought me much happiness. It's brought me beyond my wildest dreams more than I can ever think I could have. But this program is something more important to me. I have abstinence, but my abstinence is not necessarily a food plan. My abstinence is a lifestyle. Abstinence to me is how I live my life. I live my life in recovery. I choose to live my life in recovery. I also, part of my abstinence is I have to work out. I have to exercise. I have to make myself get out of myself and get out of my little warped mind and actually do something. It's actively working the tools. It's actively working a program of recovery. My mind is still as sick as it was five years ago. And my mind still says, you're 300 pounds. You're not deserving. You're not good enough. You're not this. But I have to live each day and remind myself on a daily basis that just for today, I'm enough. Just for today, I can live in recovery. I have a choice. I can either become you know, addicted to sugar again and go down that road or just for today I can live in recovery and that's what I choose to do. OA has taught me a way to live. It has taught me a way to to love myself. It's taught me acceptance. It's taught me tolerance. OA has given me more than I could ever have possibly dreamed of getting in this life and without OA, I would be six feet under. I can guarantee you I'd be six feet under. You know, I wasn't well enough to even figure out that, you know, I altered my body before I realized I had a problem. But that's okay because my higher power has a journey for me. And my higher power had to get me to the point that I would listen because I had had years of therapy. I was even a psych major, and I still couldn't get well. And my weight kept going up and up and up. I was literally as wide as I was tall. I could not walk across the room without getting out of breath, without breaking out into a horrible sweat. I couldn't go anywhere without what I'd call a sweat rag, which was usually, you know, um, paper towel folded up in my pocket. I was embarrassed to be around people. I didn't even like myself. I didn't want people to know that I was such a bad person, but my excuse in my warped little mind was I was protecting myself from people because people weren't nice. Well, I wonder why. I wasn't even nice to myself. Um, so through recovery, I've learned how to accept my higher power. I've learned to listen to my higher power. I've learned to trust my higher power. I've learned to realize that I have something to give. And that gift he's given me is more than I could have ever asked for. I have recovery in me. I have recovery to give, but I'm still just a baby in this program as far as I'm concerned. 
it's not a program that you graduate from, which I am grateful. I am truly, truly grateful that I will never, ever graduate from this program. But it's my choice. I choose not to graduate from this program. I know that I am not perfect by any means. But that's okay. I've learned to accept that I am the person I am. I have a disease. I have an ism. That ism can be easily transferred to alcohol. That ism could easily be transferred to drugs. I know that. But by actively working my, my program of recovery, I'm giving myself the keys to live a life of freedom, to live a life of happiness. It doesn't mean that every day is not tough. It doesn't mean that I don't have days that I want to, you know, my little inner child wants to rebel and goes, damn it. You know, why do I have to watch what I eat? Why do I have to get up and exercise? Why do I have to make that phone call? Why do I have to make that commitment to call my sponsor? That's okay. That's a small price to pay from contemplating suicide from the minute I get up to the minute I fall asleep. That's better than having to eat from the minute I get up to the minute I fall asleep. I was a good cereal eater. Not meaning literally cereal. But um, meaning that, you know, during the day, I look like I, I just didn't eat that much. And people couldn't figure out why I had such a weight problem. Well, it was because when I got home, that door shut, and I didn't have to answer to anybody. And I did nothing but eat from the minute I got home to the minute I literally fell asleep. I was so good that I, you know, would go out to lunch. And I would purposely take a Post-it with me. And I would go to the counter. And I'd, okay, well, let's see, I want this, but... Oh, and I have to order for my friend, and she wants, oh, let's see, she said, oh, yeah, she said she wanted, you know, this, and to supersize it and to do this and that. I was really good at, you know, thinking I was following the world, but I wasn't. In reality, I wasn't because they could see it. I mean, they could literally see I wasn't fooling the world. But that's okay. That's what it took for me to come through the doors of OA. That's what what it took for me to realize there's an option out there for me that is so much better than what I was doing. I couldn't get out of it. I didn't know how to stop the cycle. I didn't know that I was sick. I didn't realize I had a disease. I do have a disease. I have an abnormal reaction to food. I have an ism, and that ism is just as strong today as it was five years ago, but I don't have to let that ism through the door. That ism likes to sneak in every chance it gets, but I don't have to let it. It's my choice. I have a program of recovery. My recovery is a way of living, and to me, that is abstinence for me personally. It's my way of living. I'm a very big, big book thumper, and I don't know how much more time I have. I thought I'd be up here forever talking. Um, but there, there's a couple of passages in the big book that, to me, really sum up what OA is for me. Um, and I often, you know, tell people when I share, you can take what you want and leave the rest. That's fine. People don't agree with how I came into OA. That's their shortcoming, not mine. I focus on the fact that I got into recovery. Yeah, I did something very drastic because I was so desperate that it was either that or kill myself. Well, I was going to be keep killing myself anyway. I was killing myself each and every day. And eventually I'd be dead one way or the other. I am going to die sooner or later. But my goal in life is to have recovery, and I'm going to be happier now than I've ever been in my life. 
And I'm going to keep being happy because I have a program, and that's this program. One step at a time, one day at a time, that's all I have, and that's enough, and that's what's good enough for me. So I wanted to share with you one of my favorite passages out of the big book, and it's from the um, story of the Keys of Freedom. And some people don't like to switch out the words, but I, I do. So um, I say, OA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It is a way of life, and the challenge contained in its principles are great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as that person lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this plan. As arrested compulsive overeaters, we must have a program for living that allows for limitless expansion. Keeping one foot in front of the other is essential for maintaining our arrestment. Others may idle in the retrogressive groove without too much danger, but retrogression can spell death for us. However, this isn't as rough as it sounds as we do become grateful for the necessity that becomes to us, that makes us toe the line and we find we are compensated for the consistent effort by the countless dividends we receive. A complete change takes place in our approach to life. Where we used to run from our responsibility, we find ourselves accepting it with gratitude, that we can successfully shoulder it. Instead of wanting to escape some perplexing problem, we experience the thrill and the challenge of the opportunity it affords another. Application of OA techniques, and we find ourselves tackling it with surprising vigor. And it goes on to say that I've had my share of problems, heartaches, and disappointments because that's life. But I also have known a great deal of joy and peace, and that's the handmaiden of the inner freedom. To me, that's what OA is. Five years ago, would I have thought I'd ever found that? No. Um, it was my, by the grace of my higher power that I picked up that phone and called somebody else after being told I didn't deserve to be in OA. If anybody ever tells you you don't deserve to be in a 12-step program, well, they're pretty sick. And basically, I would just say that's nice and leave them because they're beyond help if they're going to make judgments of somebody trying to find help. And to me, people want to focus on what I've done. That's only a small part of it. What's kept my weight off, what's kept me sane, what has kept me food sober has been this program. It's been nothing short of a miracle. And if I can give you anything to live with, it's keep coming back. It will work if you work it. It's not a program of doing nothing. It's a program of action. Even if you have to act as if to get through that next moment, even if I have to act as if I'm accepting somebody, it gets me through the moment. Even if I have to literally tell myself, okay, Tracy, get out of that driver's seat and let your higher power drive, that's what I have to do. I never knew I was a control freak until I got into OA. And then I realized I am a control freak. And I never knew that before. But that's okay. Some of my worst character defects are actually some of my strongest assets. It's just because of my ism, I tend to go to one extreme or the other. OA keeps me trying to go down the middle of the road. And that's what gives me strength. That's what gives me hope. And each of you have something to give. And each of you have something to learn. And I hope you keep coming back because this program is really a program that will work.
if you let it. And if you turn it over, and if you do what the big book says, you will have success. Thank you, Tracy. Um, I am going to pass around our lovely basket basket. <laughs> we improvise well. Um, if you have any questions that you'd like to write down, please feel free. And after we hear from Sal, uh, we'll do an answer session. So now I'd like to welcome Sal. Hi there. My name's Sal. I'm a compulsive overeater. So if I stay on topic because I have a tendency to ramble, um, I have some notes. Um, let's see. All right. Um, you know, when I when I came into OA, when I came into OA, you know, I wanted to know how, where, when, all of the questions about why I was a compulsive overeater. And what I understand now in this program is that a better a better question is. Who? Who saved me? And that there's a collective of people, it's like a collective of souls that, that somehow embodied in this fellowship that really has saved me. And that there are people in this front row and even the second row when I feel very uncomfortable and I, um, and I just want to quit. You know, I get a phone call, you know, um, I show up at a meeting and, um, it changes my spiritual condition, you know, to want to continue in this program. Um, my my mother was over 200 pounds in her child early childhood, and you know she replaced from being compulsive in her destructive eating to being a compulsive healthy eater. And so, you know, organic food was pretty much at every meal, every meal. And but really, how she chose to nourish her family was with religious, physical, and mental abuse. Um, you know, and my life was a white knuckle diet from a very young age, and so I had asked myself a question: Is was my mother the cause of my compulsive eating? You know, and, and the answer is really no, she wasn't. Between ages of three and five, I can recall some some sexual experiences that were not pleasant, not at all. But so were the was this the catalyst of my compulsive eating? And, and it, it wasn't. It was not. Um, probably around age six, I would say I had a chemical induced spiritual experience, and that's basically the phenomenon of craving when I was ingesting sugar. So, and what I find is that that food takes me away from the true spiritual experience which is found in this program. That food is an illusion to what I'm seeking every day in this program. So, one, one particular Easter, my, my grandmother because she was quote unquote normal, decided tells my mom, hey, well, can they have some chocolate? So chocolate rabbit. It wouldn't hurt. 
And I don't know about you, but, you know, if I ingest one little small amount of my alcohol food, I'm off and running. You know, I'm completely insane. And and forever, from that, that moment forward, my life has been, you know, a desire to return back to the feeling of that first fight. Um, sometime in the early, late 70s, early 80s, my mother took me to my first OA meeting. First OA meeting. And, and this great racial resentment was born my first meeting. So as we go around the room, it's telling our names, and my, it gets to me, I say, my name is Sal, I'm a compulsive overeater. My brother says, my name is, and he gives us our last name, Gomez. And the group's reaction was astonishing. I was like, I, was, I, I panicked. I thought that you didn't accept me because I was Mexican. I didn't really understand that this was a program of anonymity, that it didn't matter who or what I was, that I was really accepted. And, um, and I was really angry. I was very, very upset. Because every time I looked in the mirror, you know, I, I hated all of you white people. But the thing was, I, I looked like you. I was you. You know? I was. And... Um, the, but the conflict was, I really hated myself. I mean, I was really young. I was young then. Um, now, the 4th of July is actually my, my birthday, belly button birthday. And, and so, this was a really special time for me, not because of the time spent with friends or family, but because of all the food, all the picnics, barbecue. That's what I look forward to. And, you know, and my mom would allow me to have anything I wanted in the way of food. didn't matter. This was like the day I looked forward to. So, sorry, I'm going to bring up food at this, you know. Um, for my mother, I wanted a half gallon of, of ice cream. And for my grandmother, I wanted two pies. Every single year, that's what I wanted. Nothing else, no toys, no none of that. I wanted food. So, um, I could remember one particular birthday where I'm sitting on the, I'm on top of my roof, the fireworks are over, and I have half of that container of ice cream finished, and I am sick as a dog, and, and I can't wait to the following year. I'm, I, you know, and that's, again, the, the insanity of, of my disease, obviously, at the time, even at the early age. And I can remember looking up at the stars and, and just realizing that, that food was my higher power and that sugar was my God and that I would do anything for those two things. Um, years later in, in hypnotherapy, I, I realized that, you know, I thought that ice cream was my problem. You know, and, and really the, the, spirit, the, the, the problem is a spiritual one and that it centers in my mind. It affects how I think and how I feel. And it's also obviously coupled with a, an allergy of the body that when you know, I ingest certain foods, that's it, I'm off and running, I don't care about you, you, anyone. You know, I'm only interested in that, that next bite, that next 
whatever it is that I need. Um, so, this perfect adherence to a, a healthy diet, as my mom lived by, um, I really couldn't do it. You know, I was still getting quantities of sugar in my in my in my diet. So, of course, you know, I'd have periods of time where I was in essence abstinent, and then there periods where I was just binging and eating huge amounts of food, not understanding why. Um, and of course, my weight slowly increased. Um, as a as a freshman in high school, there was of course my my first girlfriend. She broke my heart. Devastated. You know, I thought my whole life was would never be the same. And I can remember back then that there was this connection between the feeling of, of love and the feeling of my that first bite. They felt the same. Exactly the same. And that what I started to understand in this program that it's this desire to return back to that feeling. You know? I eat. You know, essentially because I like the effect. I love the effect. But I also love the effect of love. And that's what I find in the fellowship. You know, I find in the fellowship that there is, again, a collective soul that, that I need. And that's what I really crave. Um, now, the big book and the rest of our literature, they, it poses, they pose great questions. Really good questions. Now, some of those I, I didn't really like to think too much about because, you know, it really began to eat away, eat away at me. And, um, but I started to make this connection between, again, the first, the, the first bite and this first love. You know, so I asked the question, you know, who is that person or what is that person or what is it? And, um... It truly was, I think, more my mother and father, my parents. That with them, there was no really clear distinction of how to develop a good relationship or a good loving relationship. So, of course, I couldn't make any good, good healthy choices around food, nor could I do, do that around love at all. Um, so, of course, no tools for living. How much time do I have? Ten minutes. All right. So no real with developing a relationship with food or with people. Um, you know, in their relationship, there was there was a separation based on their divorce, and and I think that somehow in maybe that moment or those moments that where I began to lose the power of choice when it came to food. I did not have the power to choose whether I picked up that one thing or another. I just didn't. Um, and, and I think because of that, that fear of separation, that it really began, it made it much more difficult for me to surrender to a power greater than myself in order to begin to really recover. And that was really challenging. It was really challenging. Um, how many minutes do I have again? Nine. Nine? Okay. Let's see here. Um, at this point in my life, it was uh, 18 years old. My mother kicks me out of my house. I'm basically on the streets. My grandmother takes me in. And 
but because of I had I didn't have the tools for living. The, you know, the, this program teaches me based on certain tools how to function or live in life, live life. That I remember being in a Carl's Jr. drive-through. I mean double western bacon cheeseburger onion rings and a vanilla shake and I'm thinking to myself how did I get here again I just couldn't understand and so I thought meat was my problem I became a vegetarian you know um, I became a vegetarian for about um, about five years first it was a semi-vegetarian I ate fish and then for for four years I ate um um, eggs and, and also dairy. So if anyone can probably decide or figure out, I my plan of eating was French vanilla ice cream. I mean, that's what I ate almost, almost all the time. In the fifth year, I became a vegan vegetarian. So vegan vegetarian. So basically what my plan of eating was, was uh, soy vanilla ice cream. Um, um, and it, I was living in Escondido at the time, and I would drive 60 miles round trip for a vegetarian hamburger like the size of your head. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is the what I've learned now. It's the absolute inverse to recovery. That I would go to any length for my food. Back then, I would go, you know, obviously any length to get what I needed. And today, I go to any length to stay right here, right where I am. And um, it's, it's a far better way of living. You know? um, so why did I become a vegetarian? I, I felt that somehow if, if I had compassion on the animal kingdom, that God would have compassion on me and I would no longer be this compulsive overeater. Um, but what I started to recognize is that it was my desire to control my life and my food. You know, it just in, in little little ways, control my life and food. Um, let's see, I'm talking about maybe maybe talking about my fen fen for the next I don't know how many years here. Um, in 2001, my son died two weeks before his due date. And a Catholic, Catholic priest at my wife's bed, bedside said that we don't pray for the unborn child. We pray for the family. And probably the ultimate resentment for, for God, the church, and anyone of the like, you know, occurred in that moment. And I had a hatred for anything in relationship to spiritual recovery. Did not want it. Now, there are, there are moments in life of sufficient force that really strip away everything, everything that we are. And the induction of a dead child was absolutely catastrophic. Um... You know, I, I believe my problem was not the way I was living my life, but ice cream. I thought ice cream was my problem. So, um, I went to see a hypnotherapist, and 
bam, bing. I do not like ice cream today. <laughs> but I still got up to 300 pounds. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I know I missed something. I have some pictures. So, 300 pounds. So somewhere between August of 2003, I was around 290 to 300 pounds. My day consisted of withholding food all day. I would then... How much time? Four minutes, okay. I would uh, withhold food all day long. I would, uh, I would eat, go feed my horses, and then purge. And then I'd come into my house. I would eat again. I'd sit my second meal. Run my garbage disposal. Cover the shame. And then I'd eat again. So my third, fourth meal, I would be so stuffed and numb, I'd go to bed. You know, I was not a very good bulimic. You know, I, I really didn't have that label. I was just a really good compulsive overeater. You know, if I if so, I won't go any further. Um, so what are the what are the crossroads? The crossroads were a place in my own mind, in my own heart. I had to realize that either I needed to change or I needed to continue to die slowly. And, and you know, after three years after my son's death, I crawled into my second OA meeting. Um, and that, that no matter how complicated or complex my life becomes, you know, if I exercise the principles of this program, then I get to keep this body. I get to keep my recovery. I get to keep a life that has done, has performed a, a, literally a miracle in my life. Um, my opinion, my opinion about the cycle of relapse or challenges of maintenance, that it is our fear of becoming God conscious and developing a vital sixth sense. Now, I can't say that I have that ultimate understanding of a God or have developed a, a vital sixth sense. But, you know, it's like, like uh, where, where did I begin? How did I start? You know, and it's, it is really simple. I had to be willing to take that first step. You know, this program has steps. I had to work that first step and really take it. You know, I was, I literally, I was at a bottom taking that first step. Um, I think I'm out of time. Two minutes? Oh, wow. All right. Um, so what else? Um, in as I had worked the steps, or working steps, I have, I have found that how I found God, or a God of my understanding, that there are three Hebrew words which make up an acronym for God. Translated, they are wisdom, strength, and beauty. And I've, I have found wisdom in our program, strength in our fellowship, and beauty in recovery. Once again, my name is Sal. I'm a compulsive overeater.
Okay, now we'll do the question portion. Um, the first question that I have was for um, what page number was the reading that Tracy did? Um, it was page 275, Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, next question was for Sal. When you are having life difficulties, what is the process you use to turn it over to your higher power? Life, uh, life difficulties. Um, what, what do I do um, to turn it over? You know, I'm, I, I do love the big book, and, and that has been the, the text by which I, I try to live by. And um, I see that book as just as equally as spiritually important as any other religious text. I mean, I, I happen to be involved in a particular religion, and, and they are as equally sacred to me. Um, and page 25 is, describes the solution. You know, it's like... So many people are really afraid of the fourth step, you know. I mean, it, it's not a moral dilemma. It really isn't a moral dilemma. Um, and so if somehow if I could, if I live by some different principle, then somehow it would be better. But that's not the case. I need to be in the solution. And the solution is self-searching, leveling of my pride, and the confession of shortcomings. And how I do that is that it does take a, a, a moment of time for me to be quiet and just sit, you know, and, and reflect on what's going on in my life. And then, is there a shortcoming around my reaction to life, a particular event, a situation? I usually have to write it down. Um, and then, talk to somebody. I mean, there's, there's, I want to say there's a person in this front row who's, who's literally saved my butt countless times. And, um, and, and... <laughs> And many other people in the fellowship. It really has have changed, you know, the way that I, I live today. So there you go. Okay, next question. Have you had success with improved health through abstinence? Um, have I had success with improved health? Well, yeah, I'm not trying to kill myself. Um, <laughs> um, my blood pressure is normalized. Um, I'm no longer pre-diabetic. Um, I'm saner. Um, I can concentrate more. Um, and I'm just happier. Um, I, I do have a chemical imbalance, and I will be on antidepressants all my life. That's um, just a given. But I don't live in the depths of my depression. Um, my depression increased significantly um, by getting into OA because OA taught me to get out of myself, taught me to get out of my warped little mind, um, taught me to get real with myself, um, you know, and to get out of the idea that I wasn't perfect and that I had to be perfect. Well, if I was perfect, I'd be God, and I wouldn't be here, and that's okay. I don't need to be perfect because I am enough, warts and all. <laughs> okay, how important is back-to-back -back abstinence 
in your experience, how have, how have slips figured into your success? back-to-back abstinence um, what was that again slips and um, okay so how uh, let's see okay um, when I first when I first came into program I think how it was I lived on tradition three you know it's the, the desire to stop eating compulsively is only requirement for membership and so you know, I had a plan of eating. I stuck to that plan of eating. And, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight. I lost a lot of weight just living that way, going to meetings and using some of the other tools. But I found that there was a much more of an evening off of my my existence when, um, when I maintained my abstinence. And, and really what I found is that I was more likely to, to eat compulsively or pick up my alcohol foods when I was living a way that was contrary to a more spiritual life. You know what I mean? It's like, I hurt you. I'm gonna, I, may not, I may not react to it today, but maybe tomorrow. And then if I hurt another person or another, and eventually I usually will eat over those feelings. I, I do. You know what I mean? I might be able to to sustain or to put up a wall or a front for a period of time, but but not for very long. You know, not for very long. And um, and of course, I don't pick up other other drugs. I mean, the drug of choice for me is food. It's it's definitely sugar. So, um, you know, a slip, I start I start over. You know, if there's a slip in my absence, I start over. And and in essence, there's been only in essence one. There's one. About six months in the program, the same thing for me happened, and um, and I started over, and that was that was something that I had to accept. That in every in, in the instances that I um, I picked up my alcohol food, I needed to start over. And in the past, I would just beat myself up and just use that as a tool to basically, you know, again to harm myself even further. Um, I find when my reaction to life began to really change, that's when I I stopped picking up food as often. You know, and again, there's going to be moments where I have these compulsive feelings where I'm I'm in my meal and I and I can feel it. I can feel that that you know demons starting to rise. But um, um, I have steps to live by, and it uh, it changes it changes my my reaction, and that I do and I have continued to succeed ever since. Okay, we have time for one more question, and I'm going to actually combine two because they're very, very similar. Um, Are there times you still want to overeat or have strong cravings like you did when you were new to program, and what do you do to stop it or make yourself feel better, i.e. handle it? Well, I'm a compulsive overeater, so yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if that ever really goes away um, because I can't remove my mind 
Um, I guess if I start going down that path, I know I need to stop and look at what's going on. Um, have I made my calls? Have I done my reading? Have I been honest? Am I working my program? Um, I, I abstain from certain foods, and um, I will not eat them, and I will make sure that nobody slips them into what I am eating. Um, sugar is, is one of them. Um, I am, and I, you know, that's one of the first things that it didn't bother me to start asking what's in this before I'd eat it. And my recovery is such that I am not bothered if I accidentally hurt somebody's feelings because I won't eat what they made for me. Um, I got over that right away because I need to keep saying I need to keep my program in action. And I can make amends to that person. And usually what I tell them is, you know, that's very nice, thank you, but that's that's not how I eat. And if they kind of look at me and, you know, I have to do this one with my mother a lot. Um, you know, I just kind of have to tell them, would you give heroin to a heroin addict? Would you give an alcoholic a bottle of wine and expect them to drink it in front of you? And then they kind of, well, no. And I have to say to them, well, that's like giving, that would be the equivalent to giving me something with sugar in it. Um, then I can also remind them if they knew me before program, do you remember how ugly I got? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, a um, two-way situation there. Um, what do I do to feel better? I pray. I turn to my higher power. I, I do a lot of um, just reflection. See what's going on. Check in. I have to tell myself to shut up sometimes. You know, like, okay, and it's my mind. I have to say, okay, shut up. You know, that's nice. That's your opinion, not mine. Um, I have to kind of remind myself, and I and I literally picture myself doing this. Okay, I have to get out of the driver's seat now. And then I literally see myself getting out of the driver's seat, getting in the passenger seat and saying, okay, God, now you can, now you can drive. Um, you know, I have to do things like that. Some people might think they're silly. Sometimes I have to white-knuckle it. But I still remember I have I live a program of recovery, and that is my lifestyle, and that's how I approach it. This is my lifestyle, and if people have a problem with that, they have a problem with that. I can't control them. I can't control people, places, or things. I can only control what I'm doing at this moment during this day. So. Okay. What do I do? Um, yes. Um, like I mentioned before, the food was my solution. Food was my solution to everything. And again, I found that if I simply turned to page 25, I could basically begin to function differently. And um, so keeping in mind that 
I needed to self-search about what was maybe a deeper problem. You know, what, what is, why am I having in this moment this desire to eat more than what I normally plan to have? Um, and it's usually enough food. It's enough food to sustain me for the next six hours. But somehow, something happens in my five to six hours. That's all. So I was commenting on a share in the front row. Another one of the people that has really saved my butt so many times. So thank you, Millie. I love you. Yeah, no. Uh, no. So, so in the end, what I found is that when I, when I would have those moments where I'd, I wanted to eat more than, than was on my plan, that there was, there was something going on. Did, was I unkind to my wife? You know, was I short with my children? You know, something. But it really requires me to stop and start to think about and pause. I mean, the big book describes that when we become agitated, we pause. Well, when I'm thinking about food, I'm agitated. I may not know why, but I'm agitated. And I need to stop and just take a second to, to um, reflect on what, what the issue is. Sometimes it doesn't come right away. But eventually it does. And I can take the appropriate action because, in essence, the, the program has given me steps by which to live. And, and it arrests that desire for, for one day. I just have to get to this one day. If I get to this one day, then I'm just going to do it again. But just today. And that's it. Okay, now we will have three-minute shares. Please limit your share to three minutes and stick to the topic. Please be sure you have signed a tape release form. Reader. I've been involved in OA for about a year. I'm, I'm Ralph, I'm a compulsive reader. I've been involved in OA for now, right about 14, almost 15 months. My problem started out with a fall that I took. I ended up with diabetic ulcers on my leg. And a friend of mine, her sister, happened to be in San Diego visiting. And I work in the media, so I was doing a job, so she was down with me. We met him at a hotel, and she said, I want to see your leg. I showed her my leg, showed her the diabetic ulcers that I had. She says, you've got, you have diabetes. We got some blood tests ran. They came back. They gave me three weeks to lose some weight that they were going to amputate my right leg. Well, I, we talked to the doctors. I actually disappeared for a couple hours. They had to send out a surgery party to find me. I uh, came back into the room. We talked about it. I made a, they made, they asked, they made me promise that I would go get seek help. And the first thing I thought of was Weight Watchers, which I do and I currently do. 
and Stan, who is my sponsor, who's sitting in the in the audience. Uh, we were at a uh, uh, a dinner, and he was telling me about OA, and I said I'll go. So I went. I sat in the back of the room. I was really scared. And I said, "What am I doing here? I don't need this. I don't have a problem." Fifteen minutes into it, I says, "Why haven't I been here? You do have a problem upstairs. You do need all the help you can get." Well, when I went back to the doctor three weeks later, I had lost thirty pounds. Uh, I am now down one hundred and eighty pounds. I went through a very rough period the last month of trying to lose the last three pounds to make it an even amount. I kept maintaining, I kept getting more and more pissed. I said, this is going to be, this is going to be the week before the convention, I will lose that three pounds. And I lived on salads all week, which I do most of the time anyway. And I just stayed really strict to everything that I did and I was able to do it. And I want to thank everybody and I would not be where I'm at today. I would be probably sitting at home, sulking, eating, getting more fat, doing what I was doing before. But now I have something to look forward to. And I attend approximately uh, three to four meetings a week. Right now it's kind of on the low side because of my job schedule, but every chance I can get I call Stan or I call him. We've got a good circuit of people that we can call to keep things going. Thank you. I'm Jill. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, And I'm going to share because I can. <laughs> um, I have almost two and a half years of abstinence, and I was a 500-pounder. And I don't think I have ever said that at a meeting level um, because it was very shameful for me. And... I realized something today that as I was able to walk to the Starbucks at the other end of the parking or the thing here um, with another OA member, um, I'm blessed. Um, I have an, an amazing sponsor who has held my hand through some of the most troubling times. Um, I have a 20-year-old daughter who is making some incredibly stupid choices and who calls me almost on a daily basis. And um, it has sent me spiraling emotionally because of her choices and there's nothing I can do which I've realized that that her choices are affecting other people. And um, somehow I have to wrap my head around what I need to do. And for me, that means, just like last night, I sat and talked with another member and my sponsor, and I told them, I'm about ready to break. And they sat with me and talked with me. And... I, God has so lovingly removed the obsession along with 140 pounds, and I don't want to give that up because I don't want to go back to the hell of getting winded, just getting up to walk to the bathroom or to walk to the car. Um, 
I have, I've had multiple knee surgeries. I have degenerative disc disease in my back. Um, and the fact that I was able to walk down to Starbucks today and not get winded is a freaking miracle. And I couldn't do that without my higher power, my OA family, and every single tool. That's why I do service, because it gets my butt to the meetings. If it wasn't for the fact that I had signed up for a certain time slot today, I didn't want to be here today. I came here to do service. And I'm so grateful to each and every single one of you that is here today. So who else would like to share? Hi, everybody. My name is Vicki. I'm a compulsive overreader. And I decided it was time they got my butt out of the chair. Um, I just celebrated six years in a way in April. And after about two or so, about two years in a way, um, I had reached a weight loss of 103 pounds. And so I know the curse of not being able to walk down a hallway without having to stop. In fact, I remember being in Palm Springs for a court appearance I had to make years ago. I was probably 97 or 98, and I weighed uh, probably about 320 pounds. And there was a long hallway from the courtroom down to the telephone that I had to go use. And there were all these pictures of all these big dignitaries in Palm Springs. And because I had to stop in the middle of a hallway that was completely flat, you know, most people don't have to stop, you know, on a flat surface. I had to pretend that I was looking at the pictures, like I really gave a shit who was on that wall. Except Sonny Bono, he was on there, so that was fun to see. And I got down to the phone, and I had to wait a good minute or two before I could make my phone call so I didn't call my client and sound all winded. And... um you know, I've gone from that to going back to New York and visiting family and friends and walking nonstop in the city for probably a good six hours. And once when I realized that I walked from the from Greenwich Village to Bloomingdale's, I thought, oh, my God, I could not have even walked from one department in Bloomingdale's to another years ago. And, um, you know, um, my my daughter's almost 12 now, and when she was about six months old, and I weighed at least 320 pounds, um, I started having trouble with my vision. And I had somebody from work drive me to uh, urgent care. And the doctor who took my blood pressure, you know, almost called 911 because I was 36 years old, and my blood pressure was something like 190 over 110. And in spite of that, and in spite of having a newborn, I kept eating for another four years until my best friend from New York came to visit, and and she's a doctor, too, and she's all of, like, 4 foot 11 and weighs, like, 95 pounds. So here I am weighing three times as much as that person who said to me, you either give up the food or this is going to be the last trip we go on together. And I said, well, that's kind of mean. And she said, no, I'll be here, but you won't be. So I got it. And then a few months later, I found a way, and... Um, now I can keep up with her when she walks, and uh, that's really a blessing. So thanks for letting me share. Okay, now it's time to close the session. I'd like to thank our speakers.
Tracy and Sal. And I'd also like to thank everyone who shared and everyone who did service so we could have this session, 100 pound winners, yay. So will everyone please stand and join me in, I put your hand in yours, I put my hand in yours.